my son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials Program, the world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project UP, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. Is it time to change your approach and switch to Air Supra, Albuterol Budesonide? Now you can virtually connect with a doctor to discuss your options and see if it's time to make a change. If appropriate, you may even be able to get a prescription for Air Supra the same day. Talk to a doctor today and see if Air Supra is right for you. Visit airsupraconnect.com to connect with a provider. This show is made possible by the fantastic support of our various partners. And I wanted to thank The Octopus Group. The Octopus Group is a collection of eight entrepreneurially-minded businesses across financial services and energy, all founded on the one simple belief that people and the planet deserve better. They are intent on building a better tomorrow for future generations and are a certified B Corp, demonstrating they care as much about the impact of their investments as the returns they generate. I am proud that Octopus have backed this show since the second series, and they are the reason why we are now able to put such a professional show together. To hear more about what they do, it is worth checking out previous episodes with the founders Chris Hewlett and Simon Rogerson, or the CEO of their investments arm, Ruth Hancock. If you want to see how you could partner with us, go to our website at www.jobsofthefuture.co. And now, on to today's episode. And without too much further ado, I wanted to welcome Rishi Sunak to the stage. Good to see you, Rishi. So, 18 months' time, you're about to go to the country and call a general election, and you are going off the back of the toughest economic squeeze that people have ever felt in their pockets and the longest recession that we may well have ever seen, according to the Bank of England. What's going to be your pitch to the country to win a record fifth term? Well, the first thing we need to do in order to make sure we can win that election is have got through this inflation problem by then. right? And that's why I'm particularly worried about policies that risk making it worse and last longer. Because if this is a problem that isn't just for this winter, it's a problem for next winter as well and beyond, because as the Bank of England said, they're worried about inflation becoming embedded, then there's no hope that we're going to win that next election. Absolutely none, right? It's as simple as that. We all heard what they said yesterday. All of you saw the numbers. And if we don't get a grip of this thing and get a grip of it fast, then we can kiss goodbye to winning that next election. So the first thing to put ourselves in a position to win is to get through inflation and get through it quickly and not do things worse. But then, thank you, right? But then, no, I... Right. So we'll get that done. Under my leadership, you know I've got a plan. We're going to grip it. We're going to get through it. We'll help people in the short term. But that's not enough. Right? We've got to build a vision of the Britain that we want to see. We want to see our kids grow up in. And I talked a little bit about it in my speech. It's delivering on the things that we talked about. It's finally reforming the NHS so that people are not waiting a year for treatment that they need and deserve 
because we've got to grips with it. We found the efficiency there. It's making sure that our schools are the envy of the world because that's how we're going to provide a better future for our kids. It's making sure that we get tough on crime so that our women and girls can walk around the streets safely. And it's about building an economy that in every part of the country is creating jobs and opportunity and prosperity for people. And if they feel that that's all happening, that we delivered on the things that we said, that we're building that better Britain, then they're absolutely going to come and re-elect us. But it is going to mean we have to appeal to people everywhere. And as I said earlier, I'm the person that can appeal to those swing voters and ensure that we beat Keir Starmer at that general election. And of all the challenges that are going to be faced this winter, as we were talking about, those companies that produce products aren't going to be protected by the energy cap and are going to be facing huge bills. What specifically are you going to be able to do for those high intensive businesses? Yeah, well, the, the most important thing that we need to do this winter is, is help people, is help families, particularly the most vulnerable families, through what is going to be a very difficult period, right? And some of the proposals that you've heard elsewhere are not going to do that, quite frankly. And that's why, as Chancellor, I announced support that was particularly targeted at the most vulnerable. And any compassionate Conservative government, I'm sure everyone in this room would want to make sure that those in our society who are going to just struggle too much with bills that are going up £1,000, £1,500, get the help they need. That's got to be the priority. That's what I did as Chancellor. That's what I'll do as Prime Minister. Now, in terms of getting businesses to grow, the things we need to do are focus on what's going to achieve that, right? Now, we've had this debate on corporation tax. Right? I don't want to stick with the failed policies of the past. Right? That's what some people are suggesting. It hasn't worked. If we want businesses to actually invest in the economy, to expand their factories, to put more lines in, to produce more things, that's how we create more jobs, that's how we'll get inflation down if companies are producing more. We need to cut the taxes on those things. Focusing on corporation tax hasn't achieved that. Investment in this economy today, no better than it was a decade ago, in spite of us doing all those things on corporation tax, because it's not the right tax to focus on. And that's where my experience in business, my time as chancellor, my conversations with business have led me to the conclusion we need to be much more radical. We need to reform business taxes to cut them on the things that make a difference. And that's business investment, business innovation. If we get those tax cuts in place, then we can help those businesses expand, grow, create jobs and prosperity, and crucially, help get inflation down. Because as I said before, if we don't do that, we're all in real trouble. And on that, there is a challenge that's happened at the bank we're talking about this morning. The fact that lots of people have not returned to the um, workforce, you know, half a million, perhaps even more. Some of it's long COVID, and then there's lots of other reasons as well that are being attributed to it. How do we actually persuade them back to the workforce? Yeah, well, you know, the answer is, is not cancelling the NHS and social care levy, because actually, as people, people know, or cutting NI more generally, if you're over the state pension age, and many of the people who have left the workforce are those older people, you don't pay any national insurance anyway, right? So that's not going to help if that's the reason that you think they left. So what we do need to do is make sure that we have the right kind of workforce or the right kind of working conditions for those people to be attracted back. And actually, as Chancellor, I spent some time talking to lots of them and we started to figure out how can we do this? Because you're absolutely right, we're short of about half a million workers, disproportionately elderly. Now, what they say is it's far less about the money. It's much more about the flexibility of how they work. Because they want to work, but they want to work part time half the week, a couple of days, three days. And we need companies to actually adjust the jobs that they're offering in order to entice these people back into the workforce. Now, they also, because they only work part-time, they don't earn huge amounts. 
And because we raised the threshold last month, that's what I did, at which you can earn money without paying a penny of national insurance, actually they're not paying very much tax, these people, because they're not earning a huge amount and we've taken them out of paying any tax. So focusing purely on tax as the answer is just wrong, right? Because that's not the issue here. These people are making a lifestyle decision and they can't find the jobs that suit their new lifestyle. And that's the thing that we're gonna to need to crack. And the government can't do that alone. We need to work with industry and private sector to create much more flexible jobs for them. And for those that wanna pick up a new skill that doesn't take very long, that can take a few weeks, we need to make sure we have those kind of opportunities for them to do that fast. As chancellor and a minister beforehand, you're taking dozens of and dozens of decisions every day. What is one that you would look back on and approach differently now? Well, there's, oh, I'm sure there's many, right? <laughs> you, you know, when you're making policy in the crisis, when you've only got hours and days to get things right, it's, I mean, it's almost impossible to get everything right. And we didn't have a playbook, right? When I, was, when I became chancellor three weeks later, I was doing a budget. A week after that, coronavirus hit. And there was no playbook. There was no manual sitting there in the treasury that said, OK, this is what you do when you have to shut an entire country down. I was having to come up with these things fast and then make sure that they actually worked. And I'm proud of my record in doing that. And I think by and large, you know, we protected over 10 million jobs, protected businesses. People were forecasting unemployment would spiral into the millions, 14%. But because of the things I put in place, it didn't. And I'm gonna bring that same degree of radicalism and competence to all the other aspects of government. But the things that, look, we clearly struggled to get right at the beginning were getting cash out to companies. And we had to set up lots of different ways to get loans. Many of you in this audience may have benefited from them. And we started with one loan program with the banks, but it just wasn't quick enough. And companies were saying, if we don't get cash now, we're out of business by the end of the week. So we had to create a new loan program, the Bounce Back Loan Program, that did solve that problem. But you know, we had to come back to that to get that right. And actually, the last thing was the, the thing that you just talked about, was earlier on, I would like to have started focusing on this issue of people leaving the workforce and figure out if there are things we could do to have stopped them leaving in the first place. Because it's actually hard to attract people back. And actually, if we'd known that this was happening, maybe with things that we could have done quicker up front. Okay. And Britain is one of the best places in the world to start a business. But something that we're not as good at is scaling businesses. And it's a problem now that is becoming ever more apparent in terms of people, the cultural side of people not wanting to grow and scale as much as happens in the US, for example. What would you do to change that? Yeah. Well, I, I don't think the answer is actually lots more money and financing, right? And people will say, oh, these scale-up businesses, they need lots of capital and we, should, you know, we can reform lots of financial markets to do that. We can do that and we should do that. And I started that work as chancellor because, as you know, this is an area I know very well. This is my background professionally. If you talk to anyone at any of those businesses, what will they say? They'll say the number one thing they need is people, right? But if you talk to any entrepreneur in the UK, growing a company, and you know this from your experience, what do they all say? What's the limiting factor in their growth? It's getting amazing talent, right? So that means you've got to focus on that side of the equation. You've got to make sure that we're training young people. We're giving them all the routes that they need, not just university, but apprenticeships too, other short courses, because it's not just about degrees. And we've got to have a visa system that attracts the best and the brightest from all around the world. Because if you look at that, those companies that you're talking about, over half of them, have a founder that wasn't actually born here in the UK. If you look at all our STEM researchers across all our UK universities, around half of them also not born here in the UK. So yes, I want to clamp down on illegal migration. Yes, I want to control our borders. But if we're going to grow our economy, we need to be a beacon of talent 
for the best and the brightest anywhere in the world. And that's why as Chancellor, thank you. What was the moment that you decided that you wanted to become a parliamentary candidate? What was the time from becoming a member of the Conservative Party to actually becoming a thinking, I want to step into the arena and I want to do something? What was that moment? Yeah, it was inspired by my parents that you heard me talk about. And they're obviously not political, but they, they worked in primary healthcare. My dad was a GP, my mum was a chemist. That's the world I grew up in. And everywhere I would go in Southampton when I was out delivering medicines, all people would just stop us at the weekends. Or they'd see me and they'd say, ah, oh, you're Dr. Sunak's son, you're Mrs. Sunak's son. And then they would proceed to tell me something about what my parents had done for them, their parents, grandparents, kids. And that always stayed with me. I found that incredibly inspiring that they as individuals, well, because I, well, <laughs> that's not my, not my strong point, and you're probably all the better off for it <laughs> as well. Um, but, you know, I found that inspiring, that they as individuals could have such an impact on our community, and that's why I wanted to be a Member of Parliament, and I want to have that same impact on the community that I'm privileged to represent in my new home in North Yorkshire. And I think all the MPs here and those who are councillors will feel exactly that same thing. It's an incredibly rewarding thing to be able to make a difference to the people who are your responsibility to represent. And that was my driving force for it. So I had it you know, growing up and then you know, at some point I wanted to act on it. But I, you know, I do believe you're better off in politics if you've had actually a real career in something. And my career was in business first to bring that experience to parliament. But it was that, it was inspired by my parents and how they served our community. And if you were 22 in 22, what career do you think you'd be going into? Because in the early noughties, it was very much banking was the kind of like what people, ambitious people wanted to go into. What do you think it'd be now? Yeah, I think one, one thing that's crystal clear, and again, I'm biased because it's my own background and experience, but you know, young people are much more interested in entrepreneurial careers now, right? And they're much more interested in working for new companies, not necessarily all the big companies, and they're much more interested in changing jobs more frequently. And I think that's something that we should celebrate and support. Look, for me, if it was me, you know, I definitely want to do something that was doing something different, doing something new, creating a new product, a new service that we don't have today that's all going to improve our lives and transform the world in which we live. That's the kind of culture that I experienced when I was living in California. And I think it's incredibly inspiring and empowering. So look, if I was a young person, I'd want to go and do something like that. And you can do that in every industry. It's not just when you think about it, it's not just pure technology. Actually, I met an amazing um, business recently and they're doing agri-tech. Right? And we know we all want to improve our food security in this country. We want to grow more fruit, grow more vegetables here. That's good for us, good for inflation. And there are amazing British companies that are using cutting edge techniques to do all of that here, actually. And that would be great for the economy. And that's just an example of using technology in a way that's going to solve a big problem for us. And now that would be something exciting to do. You'll have heard both the candidates talk about the importance of a growing economy and the role that scale-ups have to play in that. And that's why I wanted to invite you to join me at Scale Up Week 2022, which runs from the 19th until the 22nd of September. It's led by the Business Growth Fund, one of the UK's most active investors in fast-growing companies. It's being hosted alongside the Scale Up Institute and the Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy. Throughout the week, leaders of fast-growth businesses, chief execs, and policymakers will be discussing the crucial issues and opportunities facing scaling businesses in a decade of change. It's free to attend. All you need to do is Google Scale Up Week 2022 to find out more and register.
Right, and now we're going to take some audience questions. Right. And arms go straight up in this. We'll go to the gentleman yes. over there. R Rishi, whoever, whoever gets the top job is facing a problem as big as the COVID problem. I think one of the good things that came out of COVID was the daily TV reports with the different experts in there giving the country data so that country could come with you. Can you, if you get the top job, or half the audience will say when you get the top, top job, um, <laughs> can, can, you, can you commit to giving the country data? There are too many things. You can't get to a GP. You can't sign up. You can't go to the dentist. My son wants a driving license. He can't get a driving test. There's all these basic, basic things which aren't working. Can you publish some data and then come back each week and tell the country what you've done to improve those things? I think that would win you the next, and us, the next election. <laughs> wow. You make an excellent point. And look, I remember those press conferences vividly because I had to do so many of them, right? And uh, in fact, you, that's probably where you all first saw me, right? I mean, I, I got the, the, you know, suddenly there I was at this press conference next to the Prime Minister and all of you were like, who is this guy, right? And uh, this pandemic was about to hit and I had to stand up and do these things. And I did, you know what, I like you. So many people say to me that they got enormous reassurance from those press conferences and they liked being spoken to like adults and being explained what was going on. And I thought that was great, right? And look, I think as you can see in this leadership contest, I'm happy to subject myself to all the scrutiny there is. I'm, you know, I'll happily have anyone interview me as you've seen in this leadership contest, because I think that's how you build trust, right? And one of the things we need to do is rebuild trust back into government. And that comes from being transparent with the country, from being honest about what we're doing. And data is a big part of it. But I would say that you mentioned all those things, you're right. Uh, data is helpful because it will help us figure out where the problems are. But what you also need is courage. You need, to, you need to be radical, you need to be bold if we're going to reform public services like the NHS. We can have all the data in the world, but if we're not going to actually confront some of the conventions, we're not going to do things differently, like I want to tackle this issue of missed hospital appointments because it is actually costing us all a fortune and depriving people of care, right? If we're not going to do those things with the data, there's no point. Because that's what I want to do. I want to reform public services with the data. I want to make them more efficient for all of you because that's how we're going to cut all your taxes. And that's the plan. It's reform public services so that we can cut your taxes. That's a conservative way to do the governing that we want to see. Hey, Rishi. Um, so Bitcoin has been around for 13 years, and uh, but it and other crypto assets are still a rapidly growing industry that can create jobs and extensive prosperity to our country. So what will you do to allow the UK to become a world leader in the Bitcoin and crypto industry? Thank you. Did Jimmy set you up to ask that question, right? Nice <laughs> fairs, nice look, I, look, I mean, you heard me talk about my experience in California. I'm a deep believer that we should embrace technology and innovation as a way to improve all our lives and make things better, make things cheaper, make things faster. And as chancellor, I, I, you know, I set out actually a really positive vision for how we can get the regulation right to support the innovation in cryptocurrency, not just Bitcoin, distributed ledger technology, the blockchain that underlies it, uh, so that we can reap the benefits. And actually, we've got it right. And the industry was incredibly excited about my proposals, which were better than those in the US, better than those in Europe. And as we've always done in this country, we do things better than those competitors. Because we know how to regulate flexibly, not burden people with red tape. Because the innovation is gonna make everyone's lives better. And it's not just about how many Bitcoins you can buy, it's about how we can change supply chains to make things cheaper. 
help make border and customs processes more efficient, how we can actually solve the appointments issue in the NHS using that technology, how we can make it cheaper and easier for you all to bank. That's the real benefit of all those things, and I want the UK to be the home of that innovation, and I put us on a path to deliver it as Chancellor and as Prime Minister. You better believe I want to see that come to fruition. Who goes this lady here? John. Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah, yes. You. Hi, sir. Um, I come from Wildon, nice area to live, area of outstanding natural beauty. One of the biggest problems we've got is planning. Yes. House builders are all over us. Uh, the Conservatives are losing council seats right, left and centre to the Lib Dems and the Greens. Now, we've heard from you and from Liz that you both want to change the system of top-down levels of housing. But can we believe you? Because at the moment, I know Wildon have been battling away with the minister, or whichever one it is this week, uh, try, trying to convince them that their methodology is wrong, that the numbers are wrong, and that they know best where housing should go in our area. And they're falling on deaf ears. So how can we trust what you've been saying to us tonight? Yeah. <laughs> well, look, sir, I actually I met with your council leader today and we talked about this very issue. And you've heard from me what I want to do about it. There shouldn't be top-down targets imposed on places like Wildon that don't take into account the very particular local circumstances, particularly as you guys have got about, I think, 80 or 85 percent of the land is an AONB. It's an area of outstanding national beauty. And the planning inspector needs to be told that that needs to be taken into account. When you're deciding how you want to build your houses, no one can tell you what to do without realising that that is something that needs to be protected. And under my leadership and the plans I want to put in place, it will be protected because I want to protect your green spaces and trust you to get on with the job of delivering houses for your community in the way that you think the best. Right? But the other thing we need to do to help you is tackle this issue of build-out because you have done a great job in Wildon Council of actually making sure that we can have the right housing in the right places because we all want people to enjoy that feeling that many of us had of getting the keys to our first home it's very special and you guys are doing a great job of that but you know who's letting us down the developers right because yeah because you you and wildon in particular have actually approved homes but they're not being built the developers are sitting on the land and i think that's wrong and we need to stop it and we need to give you the powers to charge them or buy the land back or not give them any more planning permissions until they've built them out those are the plans that i outlined today and they're going to help you elected at 20 unseating a Lib Dem by 15 votes last year. <laughs> My residents in Westway Ward have come to me with concerns about their social housing that is run by the Residents Association Lib Dem Administration at Tandridge District Council. Uh, what legislation are you going to put into place as Prime Minister to ensure that local councils and housing associations uh, have the best um, quality social housing. Right, Taylor, well, first of all, enormous congratulations to you. That's a cracking result. Well done. Uh, look, I don't have an immediate answer for you. I, I thought we were already in the process of making sure that there were standards that were put in place or to make sure that people have high quality homes. It was called the decent home standard, and we were in the process of implementing it because you're right, people deserve to have 
homes that are fit for habitation. And when that's not happening, the people doing that should be held to account, particularly because they're using government funds to build those homes. So it's simply unacceptable. We should not have tolerance for it. And I'm happy to take it away with you and figure out what we need to do to make it right. Simple as that. Thank you very much. Um, Rishi, you seem like a lovely chap and you've talked about trust a lot, which is great, but we all know that sometimes people don't do what you want them to do and you have to be tough and hold people to account. How can you reassure us that you will be tough when you need to be when people aren't performing? Yeah, well, look, that's a, it's a great question, right? And the simple, simple answer is, look, I... I had to do it in my business career, right? Everyone's got a lot of commentary on, you know, where I am today and all the things that I'm fortunate to enjoy. I didn't get there by being easy on people. I got there by being tough, right? If you want to succeed in business, you need to be able to do that. And that's what I've done. But I've also demonstrated that in politics, right? And Dom talked about it. When it came to the Brexit decision, a lot of pressure was put on me to do something I didn't want to do. And even though that, that was going to be difficult for me, I wanted to stick with my principles. I toughed it out because I backed what I believe. I backed Britain and I backed Brexit. When it came to Omicron last Christmas, I was actually in California on a business trip trying to make sure that we can get all the innovation that we need here in the UK. And it was clear that this country was about to sleepwalk into another lockdown because that's what the establishment wanted. That was the default lever that they always pulled. And I was convinced it was wrong for our country. So I came back here. I didn't see my family over the Christmas holidays because every day I sat here and made sure that I fought against that, even though that was difficult, because at some points it was me and one other person against an entire room. But I wanted to fight for what was right for this country. Hi. Rishi, um, given the, the current migrant crisis and the government's Rwanda policy, as a sovereign nation, we can but more importantly, should we leave the European Court of Human Rights? Yeah. Well, so we may have to, and no option should be off the table. So for those of you who are interested in this topic, on my website, there's a detailed 10-point plan for how I want to tackle this issue. There's a video. I'll give you two things that we need to do out of that plan right now. One is we need to move away from the ECHR definition of asylum, because it's very broad. It's being exploited by lefty lawyers. and means it's very difficult for us to send people back. So I want to move to a different standard, a different international standard that's narrower and tighter, and that will help us execute the policy. A second thing we need to do is join up our foreign policy. At the moment, we're in this slightly odd situation where we'll talk to a country about a trade deal we might give them. We'll go even further and talk to them about the aid that we're going to give them. But at the same time, we don't tell them they have to take back their failed asylum seekers. Right? That's clearly bonkers. Right? So we need to be tougher on things like that. So there's a range of other things in my plan to grip this situation. Dominic, who you heard from earlier, has got a new British Bill of Rights that's also going to help. I want to see if all those things work. But if they don't, then no option will be off the table because we have to make the Rwanda policy work and I will do whatever it takes to make it work because we must have control of our borders. Good evening. My question to you, Rishi, is uh, about inflation. I'd like to know how you intend to get inflation under control, given that it's been fueled by global supply chain issues, soaring global energy costs, and the war in the Ukraine. 
Well, this is the most important question that confronts our country at the moment. The most important one, man. You all heard what the Bank of England said. And as I said the other night, the warning lights on our economy are flashing red. And the root cause of that is inflation. And yes, it's primarily driven by international causes, but not exclusively, and increasingly is becoming domestic. So the first thing we need to do, if we're going to grip this, is not make the situation worse and put fuel on the fire and repeat the mistakes of the past. And as you heard from Nigel Lawson, Margaret Thatcher's Chancellor, about those just the other day, I believe that pumping 40, 50 billion pounds, I can't keep up, of borrowed money into an economy that's already seeing an inflation spiral is enormously risky. It is taking a big gamble with your savings, your pensions, and your mortgage rates, and that is not a gamble that I'm prepared to take. The first thing we need to do is not make the situation worse. The second thing we need to do is to support people through the autumn and the winter, the moments who most need our help with the cost of living, which of course we'll do. And then, longer term, how do we get inflation down? We increase the supply of things, right? That's reasonably easy for us to grasp. Where do we have inflation? We have it in our labour market, which is why we need to get much tougher on welfare, because at the moment there are more people on unemployment benefit than there are job vacancies in the economy. That's not right. We need to be conservative about that. We need to reform welfare to get those people into work and ease some of those bottlenecks. We need more homegrown food, as I talked to me about. We need more homegrown energy, whether it's offshore wind or new nuclear reactors that are going to power our homes. And we need to get our businesses investing. And that's why the tax cuts that I talked about are focused on those businesses that are actually expanding production, expanding capacity, investing and growing. Because if we get them to do that, to get through these bottlenecks and increase supply, that's how we'll get inflation down. So it's not just a problem this winter, and that's it, because I don't want it to be a problem next winter and beyond. So that's my plan to grip it. But I tell you, the most important thing is not to repeat the mistakes of the past and put fuel on the fire of a problem which we're already suffering. That's not going to help any of you in this room. It's not going to help our country, and it is going to mean that we lose the next election. Um, we all got a sheet of paper identifying the policies that both you and Liz Truss put forward. I was very disappointed, and I know a lot of young people in particular will have been very disappointed. There was absolutely no coverage of uh, climate change or environmental problems. That is not a secondary problem. It's a priority that we invest and we influence the whole world to invest in recovering there. What will you do about it? Yes. Well, look, uh, I have two young girls, so I have, two, I have two little girls, and for the last couple of years while I've had this you know, important job, they are not remotely interested in it, for the most part, and they, uh, the one thing they ask me about is, Daddy, what are you doing about the environment, right? What are you doing about climate change? That's all they really are interested in, right? So I don't want to let them down, first and foremost, and in the same way you've heard me talk passionately about the public finances, the borrowing and the debt that we leave to our kids and our grandkids, I'm equally passionate about the environment that we leave them because we're conservatives. We work hard to build a better future and leave something for our kids. That's a very conservative instinct and it goes for the environment as it does for anything else. But look, yeah, I do believe in our net zero target. I want us to get there in a measured way because there is no point in us racing there harder and faster than any other country because that will just both impoverish us and lose people's support on the journey and I don't want that, right? So we need to do it in a measured way. And the way we're gonna solve that problem is not by getting people to give up all the things they love. It's not about putting up all their bills. It's about innovation. 
It's about what I talked about. It's about building that innovation economy of the future where our scientists, our researchers, our entrepreneurial companies are creating the solutions to the problem. Whether it's a new generation of small modular reactors that we can not only use here, but we can export around the world. Whether it's energy storage, whether it's more better use of our environmental agricultural land. That's exactly what we're already doing. But it's not just about government investment. Right? That's not the conservative answer to this. It's not about well, how much money can the government throw at this problem. It's about unlocking the creativity, ingenuity, entrepreneurship of the private sector. That's where conservatives, that's what we believe. Right. I asked you in January for your advice on having two daughters, and you said be very kind to your parents is the first thing, and that is that, 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 <laughs> that is, is has been absolutely true, and they're there in the audience. Well, I don't know who, who's maybe sitting tonight. Yeah, one. Um, I just wanted to um, say, like, it's obviously been a tough leadership contest. Lots of blue on blue. You've spent a lot of time with uh, your opponent in the last couple of weeks and are going to spend another month as well traveling the country together. What do you most admire in what she's trying to do? I, I mean, I think what Liz is great at is explaining conservative values, right? I mean, she's great at having, being, having high conviction in conservative values and being unashamed about them as I am, right? That's something that we both passionately believe. I think the other thing about Liz, as you I'm sure saw this evening, as you'll see from both of us over the next four weeks, is but we all know in this room, and Liz and I know, who the real opponent is here. It's not me, it's not Liz, it's not any of the other people that were standing in this leadership contest, right? We know who it is, and in a few weeks' time, we're all one family here, right? We're all one team, we're on the same team, we're on the same family. We're gonna come together, we're gonna serve the British people, build a better Britain, and then we're gonna take the fight to Keir Starmer. And whether that's Liz or me, I know that she cares equally about that as I do, as all of you in this room do. Because if we don't do that, all the things that we're discussing, all the values that we hold dear, it's all for naught if we can't win that next election. That's what she's focused on, that's what I'm focused on, and I know it's what all of you are focused on too. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Rishi was clearly listening because he said you didn't ask me about my favourite podcast. And he said his just then is Faster Please. So make sure you check that out as well. Thank you all for coming this evening. It's been brilliant to have you all here. And as Rishi says, let's focus the next election on beating Keir Starmer. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Jimmy's Jobs. One of the ways that we make this show possible is by the partners that we have that support us. They can be like today's, like the Octopus Group or the Fintech Alliance, but also we've done more consumer-facing brands like Primary Bid and Beer52. You can go to our website and check out more details at www.jobsofthefuture.co. The other way the show is made possible is by me going into organisations and talking about jobs of the future and the talent that is required to fill those jobs, how you retain them, how you attract them, and how great teams are built that can achieve superb things that we hear about on this show. If you want to know more on that, drop us a line at hello at jobsofthefuture.co. We always love hearing from our listeners.